Well, once again, thanks for joining us. I'm so grateful that you got to see that connection between Ryan and serving, just one of those ordinary people that we're talking about in this series today as we wrap up, just as an ordinary person investing in kids, and he has this moment where he gets to connect with Ben, uh, now serving, and you know, just that last song, there is this sense of joy, right, that comes out of the house of the Lord, which just lets me preview the next series that comes up as we begin next week called Kingdom Values, where really we're looking at this idea of how the purposes of God help reveal the plan of God. And the plan of God only makes sense when we are living out God's purposes. And certainly one of those purposes that we've been talking about, our core value of personal ministry uh, in this series, we've said it this way every, uh, every week, that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his uh, extraordinary purposes. And we've looked at people who are kind of supporting cast, right, in the Bible, not necessarily the lead characters, because it seems like that God has this unusual sense of joy and delight about using people who don't always uh, demand the lead roles. And I know that sometimes when people come to our church, they walk around and they see a lot of people serving and a lot of people giving their energy and they think, well, everything seems to be running smooth. But when you have this multiplication vision that we have, and you know, we've been blessed to send out of our church over 500 people to start new campuses, congregations, and other places. We're constantly needing to develop and equip and raise up new leaders, new people uh, to serve. And so throughout this series, as we have kind of shown these are the needs that we have, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, um, underneath the control, the authority of God's spirit lived out um, in our church. What we're seeing is people take steps into serving, people asking questions about how in the context of their life, God could use them in these ordinary uh, spaces and places to accomplish and do incredible, extraordinary things where you someday maybe are going to have some of these moments like Ryan and Ben had um, together that we've been seeing those numbers every week come down as more and more people are stepping in to the joy of serving. And I hope and pray that you are prayerfully taking that step as well. Today, um, the last of the ordinary people, kind of these unusual characters that we are looking at, I'm super excited about it um, because I'm guessing that you probably recent have not recently heard um, a message about today's character, a lady named Rahab, who's a prostitute um, in the Old Testament. She, um, her life is complicated. Her story that we have um, in Joshua chapters two through six is complicated uh, as well. But throughout the scriptures, she is commended um, for her faith. So just a little bit of background as we jump in, you know, when uh, the people of Israel came out uh, of Egypt with Moses on the Exodus, they get to the promised land. And when they do, Moses sends in 12 spies into the land. Now they come back with varied reports about this movement. This is God's covenant promise that he's laid out in front of them that they're gonna take the promised land. 10 of the spies come back and they say, look, we saw giants in the land, we've got no chance. But two of the 12 spies, uh, Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, we saw giants in the land, they've got no chance. It's the same view, the same perspective, but completely different beliefs about that. One looked at the giants in comparison uh, to their own size. Joshua and Caleb looked at the giants in comparison to the size of their Yahweh God and what he had done to bring them out of the Exodus. And I would say that's what we do as Christians um, by faith. By faith, we look at our circumstances in light of the size of our God, not our capacity to fix our circumstances and to make sense of them. However, the will of the people 
It was to follow the 10 spies and not Joshua and Caleb. And so the people wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until a new generation grows up. And by the time you get to Joshua chapter two, Moses is dead and gone. That generation is gone for the most part. And now Joshua is the new leader. God has brought them up to enter the promised land. So Joshua chooses to send two spies into, uh, into the land and they begin in the, the place of Jericho. Now Jericho was a military fort. Now you may be wondering, well, why did Moses send 12 spies and Joshua only sends two spies? There's no biblical reasoning for that, but I imagine Joshua said, we really only needed two last time. So I'm only sending two uh, this time. And these two spies go in and they start at Jericho, which was mainly a military fort. It's a six acre plot of ground in that day, um, incredibly uh, fortified uh, at its base. The walls were five feet thick. I'll show you a picture here of the archaeological excavation of some of these walls. Uh, mainly military soldiers uh, would, have, uh, would have been in here. And so these two spies out of Israel would have come into uh, the city or this complex, this fort um, at Jericho, uh, because they would have received guests and travelers coming through to hear news, right? They wanted to know what was going on in surrounding areas and regions, and they certainly wanted to keep their eye on anyone coming into the city. So they come into the city. This is Joshua chapter two, verse two, and we'll read verses two through four uh, to start out. And they, they being the spies, they went and came in to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, the commander really of those forces, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman, this is Rahab, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So the two spies from Israel, these two unnamed uh, spies at that time, they come in to Jericho, they make their way. I'm sure they ask around, they go to Rahab's house. Rahab, um, her house would have been kind of a combo, most likely of a brothel um, and a hostel um, where travelers could come and stay. It makes sense in the context of it also being a military fortification. So when word gets to the commander of the armed forces here at Fort Jericho, um, he finds out, listen, they've heard about the, the Yahweh God of the Hebrews. They've heard about the powerful things that God has. They've been worried about the Hebrews coming to the promised land. Uh, they've been worried about it for years. And so the king sends word to Rahab and he says, hey, those two guys that came to your house, um, send them, send them to me. And here's how Rahab uh, responds uh, to the to the king slash commander. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And, the, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, uh, to, to her roof in her home and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid uh, in order um, on the roof. So um, the men come to Rahab, hey, give us those, these two guys. Rahab has hidden them in the roof lining of her house where the flax was overlaid on top of each other. She had hidden them up there. They, they come in looking for the two men and she says, listen, the two men, you're right, they did show up here, but they actually left. Uh, they snuck out the gate right before we shut it at night. If you, if you go after them now, I mean, if you're fast enough, like you, you can catch them. Now there's a Hebrew word for what she did there. She lied. It's a lie in Hebrew. It's a lie in Greek. We have a word for it in Southern Ohio. We call it a lie. It's a, it, no matter which, it's bold-faced lying. 
And it, um, it gives us, it kind of brings us in the story of Rahab uh, to this moral conundrum. So on the one end, the Bible never says that Rahab was blessed because she lied. And at the same time, the Bible does commend Rahab for hiding the spies and for her faith. So the moral issue on the table is, well, number one, is it okay to lie? I mean, thou shalt not lie, right? It's one of the 10 commandments. Is it ever okay to lie? And if it is, when? <laughs> when would it be okay to tell a lie? Here's what I think that the answer is. When the only two options are both sins, it's okay to lie. But for Rahab, these are the things that she had out in front of her. Number one, she could turn the spies in, but she knows, she, she knows that if she turns the spies in, they'll be tortured for information and eventually killed, right? And she will be part of thwarting the plan and the purpose of God. That would be a sin. The second sin would be to lie, to tell something that was false and untrue. So when the only two options that are available to you in, uh, in a moral con, uh, conflict in your mind and in your heart, when the only two options are both sins, what do you do? You choose the one that brings God the most glory. That's the only way that I can see this, that I can see this working out. And I will just point out that Rahab did not choose the option that was best for her. Rather, she chose the option to risk her own life because if they go up into the rift lining and they find that she hid those two spies and they, she lies to the king, she will be publicly executed along with those, those two spies. So she didn't take the easy way out. Rather, she chose the option that brought God the most glory. So I wanna be real clear. It is not okay to lie. I can confidently say to you that 99.9% .9 of the time, you should not lie. There may be 0.1% of the time, if you're saving someone's physical life, <laughs> that may be an option that's available to you. But uh, why is this, why is it so important? Um, because throughout scripture, the, 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 the Bible supports the idea of integrity. I'll just give you one verse uh, from, uh, from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. It says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Um, so we've got to reconcile integrity and faith. Why is that so important? Integrity is where we, um, we get our word for integer, right? The word for whole numbers. So God doesn't give us this command to not lie just because he doesn't want us to break a rule. Because the goal for us is to be whole people. And if you and I cannot tell the truth, if we cannot um, synchronize our heart and our words and our representation of ourselves, we're segmented people. We're only, we're only partial people in that sense. I was talking with Christy Lowe from our team, and some of you know that Christy is pursuing uh, a counseling degree. And we were talking about this idea of being whole persons, whole people. And she just happened to mention, you know, that really one of, if not the main goal of counseling is, is integrity, is personal integrity, where the things that we believe and the things that we uh, represent are the things that verbally come out of our mouth. If you and I can't keep our commitments, how do we really know who we are? I think that's why Jesus says in the New Testament, let your yes be yes and your no, and your no be no. In this case, 
Rahab does the wrong thing, but she does the right thing. She chose the option that brought God the most glory. So the soldiers, they go out of the city, they go chasing the men, then Rahab comes back into her home. And that night, that night she talks with, um, she talks with the spies um, in verse 12. She says this, now then, please swear to me by the Lord as I've dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and you will give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. You know, it's interesting that um, it's human nature, it's your nature, it's my nature to tend to marginalize certain groups of people. Um, the folks that Angie and I have known throughout years and years of doing ministry, who have been involved um, in prostitution, got has spoken into their lives, saved them, redeemed them. Um, what we have learned um, in, in friendship and in, in communication um, is that this tendency that we have to marginalize and isolate certain groups of people and develop, well, this must be how that it's not reality at all. I would say prostitution was not first on Rahab's list of occupational goals for her life. She probably didn't grow up dreaming that this was gonna be her life. Certainly we have found that to be true in people um, in our lives, people um, that, we, that we know, that we've have, uh, had and have uh, relationships with. What's interesting here is that what you see come out of Rahab is not what we tend to think about. Rahab has a family. She loves her father, she loves her mother, her brothers and her sisters. And she goes to the spies, not in her own behalf, as much as she goes in her family's behalf. And she says, listen, I protected you. I risked my life for you. Now what I'm asking is that you, when the day comes and when this, this battle goes down between you and Jericho, that me, my family, our, our home, that we would be protected in the same way that we, that I have protected you. And here's the response of the spies in uh, chapter two, verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. That's how they kind of escape uh, and kind of escape the city. And you shall gather into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your, all your father's um, household. In other words, they say, um, whenever we come into the land, you gather everybody into your house, put this scarlet th uh, thread in your window and this scarlet thread will remind us, it will mark your home and you and your, your home, you will be protected. And certainly, um, if you read through the rest of the narrative of Joshua, uh, that's exactly what happens. Rahab makes an incredibly important decision. Rahab says, look, I'm, I'm choosing to align myself with you. Everybody else wants to kill you. They want to eliminate the threat, right? Get rid of, get rid of the enemy. Everybody else wants to arm themselves against you. But instead of arming uh, myself and my home against you, I'm choosing to align myself with you. Instead of uh, aligning myself with our pagan gods and our pagan culture here in Jericho, I'm aligning myself with Yahweh God. I'm going against the flow of the culture to align myself with you, your values, your beliefs, and the purposes 
of, of Yahweh. And I would just say for us as Christians and us as believers, it's very, very important that Christians um, understand as believers, we align ourselves with God. And at times we do that against the flow of the culture. We align ourselves with God's purposes instead of following the trends of culture. And it has been wisely said, wisely said in Christian uh, history that there will be a time as a believer, as a follower of Christ, when you find yourself by yourself. There'll be a moment where you will have to choose, am I gonna follow the flow of culture or am I gonna follow the purposes of God? And you'll be the one, you'll be the, the only one probably that has to make this determination and make this decision. You'll be the only one on your sports team. You'll be the only one in your friend group. You'll be the only one in your college class. You'll be the only one in your office. You'll be the only one in your family. And there will be some sort of cost or uh, predicted cost in your mind to saying, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to follow his purposes, regardless of what the culture and the trend is. And I believe that's going to probably become increasingly, um, increasingly prevalent in a culture where people, Christians included, at times are more discipled by the media than they are by God's word. What we are going to hear more and more is, well, how do you, how do you reconcile um, Christianity with my feelings about X, Y, or Z? When in reality, we should be saying, well, wait a minute, how can I reconcile my feelings with God's truth? Because we start with truth and then we reconcile everything else everything else to that. And the beauty, I think, of Rahab is armed with the same amount of information that everybody, she didn't have a special amount of information knowing what everyone else in Jericho knew. She said, I'm going to align myself with God's purposes instead of just following the trends. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament uh, we're going to look at two of those. And then the third one, we're going to pick back up in the Christmas uh, series coming up um, here in a couple of months. We're going to look at two of those mentions of Rahab um, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. And the first one comes to us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31, as we learn a couple of things uh, from Rahab. By faith, Rahab the harlot perished, not not with them that believed not, in other words, speaking of the people in Jericho, when she had received the spies with peace. Now, if you know much, um, if you know much about scripture, um, then you're going to know that Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith or the faith hall of fame. And really um, what it is, is this portion, this chapter in the book of Hebrews that reaches back into the Old Testament and it groups a list of the creme de la creme of the saints of the Old Testament of people who lived by this extraordinary belief uh, and faith in these unusual kinds of situations. And Rahab is listed in this group. And as you heard me read, it says, by faith, Rahab the harlot, da 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 da, -da when she received the spies with peace. Now, what's interesting about that is that Rahab's profession is listed. Um, as a matter of fact, the two mentions in the New Testament that we're going to talk about, they refer to her as Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. And I think there's, I think there's something inside of you and me that's kind of like, eh, 
I mean, nobody else in Hebrews chapter 11, I mean, it doesn't say Abraham's profession. It doesn't say Isaac's profession. It doesn't say, it doesn't say uh, David's profession. It doesn't say Elijah's profession, but it says Rahab the harlot. And you're kind of like, come on, God, do you have to remind? I mean, like we got it in the old time. Do you have to keep reminding us? And the purpose of God's reminder in that, at least in my mind, is he's reminding us of, of his goodness and his grace. And he's reminding us that all of us ordinary people, and like I said a couple of weeks ago, there are things in my background, things in my past that I wish that I could go back and change. And I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm sure there are things in your life that you wish that you could go back and change. But the goodness of God in our lives is that he is not limited. He is not limited by our past. When Rahab says to those spies, Please deal kindly with me. That word kindly is the Hebrew word hesed. Incredibly important word in the Old Testament. It represents God's covenant covering, his covenant covering of his people and in the process of them moving out of the Exodus, moving into the promised land, where this is all a movement towards the person of Christ, Jesus, the scarlet thread that's there throughout all the Old Testament, the one who was gonna come, shed his blood, give his life for our uh, sins. He's the thing that marks us. He's the red thread that marks um, our homes. And he's this reminder to us that it doesn't matter who you used to be, that God is more interested and who you can be, that God is the only one who can make your past your past. And I don't know if you are like me, but it's not like I say that to myself one time and I pray that one time and it just goes away. At random times in my life, at random times during my day, I'm walking around, I'm doing whatever I do, I'm standing in line uh, at Walmart and I got this little voice behind my head that says, do you remember yesterday when you yelled at your kids? Nice job, mom. Nice job. You're a great dad. And I don't know if you have a voice, but I've got a voice. And I don't know when your voice speaks to you the most, but I'll tell you when my, when my regret voice speaks uh, to me the most is when I'm going to sleep at night, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna curl up, right? In bed, I'm gonna lay down, I'm gonna pull the blanket up and I'm just about to go to sleep. Just about to nod off and all of a sudden I get the, hey, wake up, wake up. You remember back in high school, whenever, yeah, you didn't say the words, but you laughed along with the joke to that person who was marginalized and they've probably been that way their whole lives. You were a lousy kid. You were a lousy Christian in high school. And I, I wake up and I start thinking about that for a few minutes and finally I'll start to settle down, you know, a little bit again and get ready to nod off and I'll get the, wait a minute, wait a minute, wake up. Remember, and, and I don't know, am I the only one whose regret voice sounds like the Aflac duck? Maybe, maybe I am, I don't know if it's just me, maybe it's you, but I, wait, you remember when you yelled at that soccer official and you embarrassed your wife and you embarrassed your kids? Those other people probably won't become Christians because of you. You're a lousy Christian. And we have this, just this little inner voice of regret. And it feels to me like while it's not always there and it's not always <laughs> speaking to me, that there are these moments where regret and what, what Rahab asks for, and I don't even know that she understood that she asked for it, 
But what she's really asking for in the thread, in this scarlet thread that runs throughout the scriptures and points us to Christ, is that in him, when Jesus goes to the cross, what happens is that we get the hesed covering of God. So this little voice, right? What Jesus gives us is he just gives us a cover. Now, it doesn't mean the consequences of all your bad choices go away. And it doesn't mean you can't hear the voice, but what it does mean, what it does mean is that God has made himself eternally accountable for your past. Only God can make your past your past. Only God has the remedy that says to you, it's not about who you used to be, but it is about who you can be. That's the first thing, the first lesson that Rahab teaches us in the New Testament. The second one comes in James chapter two, verse 25. James says this, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out a different way. Now the context of James chapter two is that he refers to justification by works. In other words, you are justified, you are made right by the things that you do. And you're going to say to me, wait a minute, I thought it was a justification by faith. I thought it was by grace alone, by faith alone, that we come into relationship with God. And you're absolutely right. However, there are two types of justification in the New Testament. That salvation justification by grace alone, through faith alone, that's Romans chapter three, Romans chapter four, that the only way that we come to Christ is not by our works, not what we accomplish and what we do. Rather, it was accomplished by Jesus in the finished work of the cross. That is a salvation justification. But James brings us a second justification, a justification not of salvation, but a justification of sanctification. So stick with me. It's gonna get a little, it's gonna get a little stickier. Sanctification is a big Bible word that just means to grow. And James says, like no other author does in the New Testament, that our salvation is proven or it is justified by not just what we say, but by what we do. And so he uses Rahab as an example for us. Rahab proved her faith by what she did. So um, think about it uh, like this. When you join uh, a team, you join a sports team, for example, they give you a uniform. That is your inauguration. You've gone through the audition, the tryouts, whatever it is, and that is your inauguration into the team. That is like a salvation justification. You have entered, you have joined, the team has said to you, here's the uniform that you put on. Now, everything else that happens at practice and in games is that you are proving your worth and your value to the team based on the moment that you stepped onto the team, right? Salvation is like joining the team. And that only happens by the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is a salvation justification. But what we do from here on out becomes proof, it becomes confirmation of the salvation as we are justified by what we do. That's an up and down motion. That's a season back and forth motion as we go and move throughout our lives. This is a vast Vast, vast oversimplification. But think about it like this, right? Um, a justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in salvation, that is getting you into heaven. A justification by works, proving your faith by what you do, that is getting heaven into you. 
You see the difference between the two? And James says that it is Rahab that teaches us like no one else teaches us that we are justified by faith in the way that we live and act and work. And you're gonna say, but she's just, she's just so ordinary. This lady, she's got this past. One of my, uh, one of my favorite pastors, um, he, said it, uh, he said it this way. He said, Abraham was on Medicare. Moses had a speech impediment. Jacob was a thief. Joseph was an ex-con. Rahab was a sex worker. David was a homicidal adulterer. Elijah was bipolar. John the Baptist ate bugs. Thomas doubted. Gideon panicked. Martha stressed out. Jonah was directionally challenged. Samson was relationally challenged. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Jeremiah was too young. Sarah was too old. Noah got drunk and Peter couldn't swim. These are the people through whom God changed the world. These are people, ordinary people, just like you and me, that prove what we have said throughout this series, that serving is how you grow. Now, it's not the only way that you grow, but it is a way that you grow that you and I taking on this, this mantra, this reality that we are servants, that God has invested his one and only son's death on the cross into our lives. The one who said, I came not, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. As We see his love in our lives as he served us. And so because of that, we choose then to serve others. And as we do that, like what you saw in Ryan and Ben's stories, that we get these moments of delight. Listen, for the rest of Ben's ministry, however long that lasts, for the rest of his ministry, Ryan has a part. Ryan has an investment. Ryan has a reward in the rest of Ben's ministry. Because 10 years ago, sitting there in LifePoint kids, looking at second grade, <laughs> looking at second grade boys who you wonder sometimes, are they listening? Are they hearing? Are they, getting, are they getting anything? And then a decade later, you have the joy of sharing in this serving opportunity with them. You know, when we step um, out of this life and into the next life, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, there's a statement, there's a, there's a biblical statement that we talk about that we are all looking to hear. And it's, it's not gonna be seemingly the things that we, tend to, that we tend to live for by default in this world. God is not gonna look at you, he's not gonna look at me when we see him face to face, and he's not gonna look at us, he's not gonna say, well done, good and faithful banker. Well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful engineer. Well done, good and faithful mom. Well done, good and faithful dad. Now what you and I are looking to hear is those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Ordinary people, people with a past, people with hopes and dreams about their future. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this series. Thank you for what you're doing in and through the lives of people who are taking steps 
to serve, to be a reflection of Jesus and the way that Jesus has, has served us so faithfully. Thank you for the example that we have in Rahab, shrewd, intelligent, caring, smart, courageous. God, help us, help us be those kinds of people as we look forward to the day when we hear that same, those same words, God, from you. We look for it, long for it. We believe for it by faith. Give us wisdom, God. Help us not to always just align our hearts with cultural trends, but help us run to you first. It's in your mighty, powerful, incredible, wise, loving name that we pray. Amen.